Welcome to Eddie's Launchpad and Extra Zoom. A chance to hear past interviews with many of Eddie's top guests. And Captain Dave will read audio versions of the regular Dogsthorpe Infant School newsletters. It's time to dream, believe and shine. OK, Eddie, start the countdown. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Zero. guest on Launchpad is Mandy Wilding. Now, you may not recognise the name, but she deserves to be on this programme. I attended Dogstorpe Infant School from 1967 to 1970, so that seems a long, long time ago. I guess it's a different school now to what it was like then, but what what was life like at the school then? Oh, it was absolutely lovely. I, I haven't got very many memories but I have got some things that are very very clear to me so the very first thing I can remember is um, going onto the playground and I was quite shy and timid and uh, I went onto the playground and I always held the teacher's hand and the teacher and, and some other children as well we were a bit scared so the teacher used to get us to run to a certain point like a wall or something and then run back to try and get get us a little bit more uh, confident on the playground because it was very boisterous and very, very busy with lots of children. So I always remember being scared and and then gradually getting a bit more confidence so I didn't have to hold the teacher's hand at at playtime. I remember what it was like in the classroom. Um, There was a class shop and all the the fruit and vegetables were all made of papier-mâché. And I absolutely loved going to the classic shop and buying fruit and vegetables with the play money. I was a teacher later on, and as a teacher, I always had a classic shop in the classroom. And that probably stems back to that memory, actually, because it was such fun. So so it lays nicely in your memory, then, Dogsorp Infant School? Oh, yes. The head teacher, I remember, was called Miss Higgett. Right. And um, she put a mirror up in the corridor outside her office. And then she asked the children to uh, write a word down and stick it on the mirror to describe something, to, a describing word for the mirror. And I was a bit disappointed because all the words that I could think of were already stuck on. So um, I didn't get to put a word on the mirror, but she was looking for lots of descriptive words like reflection and shiny and all things like that but I I couldn't think of one that that hadn't been stuck on so I always remember that I don't know why that I remember that do you want to know something really amazing about that mirror what's that there is still a mirror on the wall at Dogsorp Infant School and uh, no yes yes there is and in fact there's there's quite a few um but there's one particular full-length mirror um with just one notice over the top of it saying 
you are the most important person in this school so that the children realise that the school is there not for us but for them. And it's how wonderful that is. Still that, that, that mirror is still there. That is lovely to hear. <laughs> yeah. So another that, thing, another yeah. thing I can remember is um, they held a jumble sale for the for the children, though not not for parents. It was for the children. So the children had to take in any old toys that they finished with that were in good condition, and um, they were laid out in the hall on long tables. And then each um, class got a chance to go to the hall in their class group. Uh, and we took some money to school and we could um, buy whatever we liked with real money. Wow. And I'll always remember I bought a toy brush. Right. And I took it home and um, like the mum and dad said, what have you bought then? I said, I bought a brush. And it was about <laughs> two pennies, I think it was. <laughs> so that's to do with shops as well, isn't it? I must wow. be shops for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, my dad took me to school because I lived on Eastern Avenue. Right. Um, my dad took me to school on the front of his bike uh, in the mornings and I went home for dinners. In those days, you could choose whether you stayed for a school dinner or whether you went home. Right. And um, I used to go home for, for dinner and then my dad took me back on the bike and then my mum always picked me up um, in the afternoon with my sister in the in a black push chair, and um, I had to hold on to the push chair. I always, had, I always remember she was really strict about me holding on to the push chair, um, so I didn't, you know, uh, get lost or go onto the road or anything. Wow! So uh, I remember that. And then we always had—I don't know whether you still do—but we always each year there was a May Day parade. Yeah. And uh, in those days, May Day yeah. was. Celebrated um, a lot. Um, yeah, we 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 had it up until a few years back, and then we dropped it. Um, you know what it's like if it, you you mentioned that you're you're now a teacher, or you have been a teacher. You would you would yeah. know that time pressures on schools now. It's all about you know classroom time and things. So there were some yeah. things that had to be dropped. Um, and it was a shame, really, because uh, I know the children enjoyed dancing around the maypole, but. Uh, times move on and and some things but but uh, it sounds like you you remember it with great fondness mandy you mentioned that you went on to be a teacher uh, yes. is that what you do now no um i changed actually i um, in um 2018 um i stopped teaching um i was previously a teacher in northampton and in coventry um 2018, I moved to Nathan. Now, a lot of people um, haven't heard of Nathan. Um, it's the National Association for Special Educational Needs. Oh, right. And, uh, yeah, I'm an education officer and responsible for early years. Right. So, could, could, um, because we've got quite a few parents who are listening, can you just explain what SEND is? Yeah, SEND is Special Educational Needs and Disabilities. Right. So it's children who have been identified who need that little bit extra support and help in the classroom right. uh, or in my in what I do um, in preschool settings. Right. So, um, yeah, I um, lead two big DfE-funded projects, DfE being the Department for Education. Right. And um, I develop training and resources 
for early years teachers. And I absolutely love my job yeah. because um, I'm, I'm in a position to really make a difference to, yeah. to children's lives and to and the provision that is made for children and families. So I feel that I'm really making a difference to those children. Right. Um, but my job is very varied. I do absolutely all sorts, and that's another reason why I love it. Um, I work with local education authorities, local authorities across the country, right up from Northumberland, right down um, to Cornwall and across Norfolk, right across to Bristol. Um, different local authorities under different projects. So at the moment we're working with 15 local authorities. Um, and we train early years special needs coordinators from um, early years settings, so um, private, voluntary and independent settings, such as nurseries and preschools. Um, and we train them to identify and to meet the needs of children with special educational needs. Right. We, yeah, we also train early years um, uh, special needs coordinators and setting managers to carry out reviews in their settings to improve their provision for special educational needs. And all these projects uh, are funded by the Department for Education. Right. So we bid for funding, and then we, and then um, we, if we're lucky, we, we get the, the funding, and then we use that funding to um, fund the training. Uh, we write training and deliver the training um, for teachers and and um, nursery nursery staff. So, so it's a it's, so, a it's a national association. So, did do you cover the Peterborough area yourself, or have you got a colleague who does that? Absolutely, I cover the Peterborough area, Great. and we've had Peterborough was one of our local authorities in the last cohort of the early years Senko Award, and mm. we had a lovely um, lady called Andrea Gammon, and she she is the trainer for early years settings for Peterborough. Wow. So we train 24 um, special educational needs, um, early years special educational needs coordinators in Peterborough. So um, that that was really close to my heart. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't come out. I usually visit the um, trainers um, delivering the training. But unfortunately, last year, of course, we were um, stopped from doing that because yeah. of COVID. Yeah. So I joined the train. The training took place online via, um, you know, online um, platforms. The Darksthorpe Infant School Podcast for parents, children and teachers. In the studio today, we've got Al Kingsley, a dear friend to the school. Uh, he's the managing director of Net Support, which is uh, a company that uh, supports schools all around the world with its uh, educational software. It's good to have you with us, Al. Hello, hello. Good to be on the show. Um, you've been involved with Dogsthorpe Infant School for several years now. How did that come about? Well, I suppose the easy answer is by luck, um, but it was slightly more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as always, I mean, you, you introduced me. I've been involved in the education space for, a, for a, what feels like a very long time. Uh, and one of my roles um, has been wearing the hat of a governor working in schools. Uh, and my first role in the Peterborough area was a governor at Hampton College. Uh, and as is the case, you know, we all learn by sharing ideas. So one of the things um, while I was chair of, of Hampton College was to join a governor leadership group. So that's some of the chairs from across the city who get together and chew the fat 
And um, most of the time it's really positive, but, you know, it's always about sharing and learning ideas. And part of that group's sort of mandate, which makes it sound a bit over-technical, but really, you know, the spirit of the group is where schools are struggling, where they might need some additional governing resource or they've got a tricky situation, they would approach the governor leadership group and say, would any of you have some time to come and help? So that's the normal scenario. Now, on the Dog's Thought journey, um, they've reached a point in the history of Dog's Thought where the governing body needed a fresh change, that mm -hmm. lots of people had put in a good shift in which time for them to, to move on. And so the local authority came and asked if some of us as governors would be willing to come and pick up and take a role and support the journey at Dogsthorpe Infants. And um, as you'd expect, some of us um, said, well, why not? Let's go and let's go and see what Dogsthorpe Infants are all about. And I'm sure many of the listeners will know it doesn't take long to walk in the front door and just feel the, the atmosphere, the vibe and meet the mm -hmm. people to recognise that that thing I always say about no two schools are the same is so absolutely true. Um, so I joined Dogsthorpe. Um, I joined as vice chair of the governing body and my remit predominantly was to try and help with the financial aspects for Dogsthorpe. And every school goes through a journey where costs, often unexpected, kind of suddenly create difficulties. And, and the last thing you want to do is have that impact on, on our little learners. Um, so I joined on that basis. But very quickly, uh, the project of Come and Help became the uh, Come and Stay. And mm. the Come and Stay became a well, this is part of me now as well. I kind of feel like I'm a tiny point of, of within the school. Uh, and I was really excited just to follow the journey. And mm. um, everybody looking from outside will have seen the amazing journey the school's been on. Mm. And, and it was certainly a turning point. Your arrival was a turning point for the school and it was uh, a blessing to, to have you join us. And, and it still is. Um, we've, we've had an incredible journey, particularly with EdTech, which we'll talk about later. Um, but you, you mentioned school governorship. How mm. important is that, do you feel, to a school? Well, the truth is it's key. Now, some people will think, well, it's people from outside being a bit nosy and busybodies. And, and in one sense, we have to remember that operationally, the day-to-day -day running of the school is all about the leadership and the stewardship of the, of the head teacher. That's where the school is, the engine room is, and is driven. But we've got to remember over the years, and, and when I say over the years, I, I possibly mean the decades, in fact I do, uh, the role of school governance has very much changed. From being um, well-intentioned parents and community getting involved with the school and finding out what's going on and supporting events, to now very much the structure of schools, particularly in the era of academies, most of the legal obligation sits on the governors or the if they're part of an academy, the Board of Trustees, which in effect is the overarching group of governors responsible for all the schools within that, or mm -hmm. within that entity. So at the local governing body level, um, there's kind of two roles, and we often talk about it as, and refer to ourselves as the critical friend. So there's the challenge and there's the support. And obviously when the school's going through a period of, of change, and often change comes because there's been challenges and pressures, um, the first thing that you need to be able to offer is support. And support comes in many, many ways. Sometimes it can be, I can help with that problem. Sometimes it's about bringing experiences of, don't worry, we've encountered things similar in other schools. This is how we fix the problem. Sometimes it's actually about listening to the ideas and, and just simply validating them, saying, you know what, that's brilliant. What a great idea to, to, you know, to add this extra bit of value for our learners. Brilliant. Sometimes it's about supporting the recruitment of like-minded teachers that are going to join the school and, and help on its journey. Um, and sometimes it's going into battle, and that sounds a bit extreme, doesn't it? But actually, you know what? When you're when you're trying to 
pick resources or get extra support mm. for a school, sometimes it does feel like a battle. Mm. You're kind of there flying the flag for the school against, not against, but, you know, alongside the local authority and the mm -hmm. bigger picture of we need extra funding and don't forget us. And I think that's where, as you become ingrained in a school and you become passionate about what you see, obviously, like we all do, things we care about, we become more protective of. So you, you look for different ways. So the role of governance is, is really quite broad-reaching. As parents, you'd expect our first conversations are always about what's happening in the classrooms. Are we delivering the right curriculum? Are our children getting a fantastic learning experience? How are the results? And if they're great, well done. And if they're not, how are we going to make them great? Um, and then around that, it's all the framework of is our school safe? Do we need to build some extra space? Um, the bit you alluded to, do we need to add some extra technology to future proofers? Um, the conversations go on and on. And if you've got a strong group of governors working in a really, you know, empowered and positive school it's it's a really good journey where everybody's learning you know mm. governors absolutely mm. included mm. what what sort of role can parents play in that because I, i'm guessing that the parents who are listening to this they may be considering whether they have the, the right skills to become a governor how do they go about that well every school ideally and should aim to have parental representation on the governing body. And I will put one little caveat out with that, which is if you become a parent governor, you have to think about the school, not just your child's experience. There's an, there's an element mm. of distance. Um, but every school has the ability. You can write to um, front office or the, even the head teacher or just stop somebody on the way through and you can put in a request to say, are there any vacancies on your governing body? And then you typically meet with the chair of the governing body and have, I don't want to call it an interview, a chat about you, life experiences and why you would like to get involved with the school. And then if it's appropriate, it would be put forward as a, an application and the governing body would review it on the basis of somebody else coming to join the team. A governing body has a fixed number that they're allowed to have. So sometimes there are vacancies, sometimes there mm. aren't. In terms of skills, I think it sometimes might be a little bit scary for, if you're not being involved in school governance, the concept of... What's a governor? Sounds sounds quite a serious term, doesn't mm. it, really? You know, I'd say the most important skill to be a governor is having the confidence to say why. Because actually, most of the time, when you've got good leadership, you're asking the questions, why are you doing that? Why are we doing this? Or certainly, how are we going to get? And most of the time, you get the answer that actually reassures you because mm. good leaders will already have that plan in hand. And if they're proposing something, they'll already have thought through the reasons why. But every now and again, the why can become the, have we considered this? What about that option? Oh, I know another school that did X, Y, or Z. Uh, and so that breadth of experience starts to add value. And, and the breadth bit comes from typically a governing body every year will do a skills matrix. And that skills matrix really says, well, what are we collectively familiar, confident with, able to add value with? So sometimes governors come to the table with the experience of finance or, you know, mm. from a, a corporate world like myself, where you've got mm. that experience in, in terms of managing resources and contracts and anything legal that crops up across the desk. Others will come naturally from an education background. Um, but you could come from a sales background, a marketing background, or frankly, you could come from being a parent. You know, and that's just as complex and skilled a job, we all know. Mm. Um, and you bring with that a different set of questions to, to challenge and different ideas because you you know more than probably anybody, Dave, you know, the heart of Dogslop is about nurture. It's yeah. about actually yeah. letting our youngsters thrive. And, and being an infant school, lots is about letting them 
sort of lead and shape their yeah. learning journey. So, um, you know, there are bits that are operational. Now, the landscape's changed a little bit for Dogsthorpe because as part of Dogsthorpe's journey, it's now part of Hampton Academy's yeah. Trust. Yeah. Now, personally, of course, I'm really proud of that, being chair of Hampton Academy's Trust, because for me, an amazing school has joined an amazing trust. Mm. And both parties have benefited from that with the experience shared in different, different directions. Um, so I think once that happens, the trust takes responsibility for some of the, the bigger challenges, the long-term yeah. financial planning and yeah. HR issues, which actually is great because what it means is the local governing body and the local leadership can focus on the important stuff, teaching and learning, you know, keeping our, our learners safe and how we engage with the community, mm. doing great things like this. Well, folks, that's about it for this episode of Eddie's Launchpad. Captain Dave and Eddie, the well-being dog, hope you enjoyed your trip and thanks you for joining them on this learning journey. Travel with them again soon when once again we buckle up and blast off to the stars to dream, believe, and shine.